Samuel chapter 15 in a minute. 1 Samuel chapter 15. So if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15, and if Ken and Nancy would turn, uh, put the PowerPoint up now. We're trying to, the worship design team is meeting again this week on um, Wednesday at 7, and we're trying to look at different hymns and hymns that we don't sing as much. And that's one that we haven't sang at least in the last two years, as long as I've been here. So we want to include some of the, some of the older hymns, some of the uh, different hymns, although I don't think that one's that old, really. So we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 15. You know, Oz Guinness traces our contemporary idea of human freedom that began in the Renaissance, blossomed in the Enlightenment, and rose to its climax in the 1960s. And he traces this idea of human freedom. He says, a classic statement of the view uh, of the Renaissance view is that of Pico della Mirandolo, as uh, he imagines God addressing Adam. He imagines God addressing Adam, saying, you who are confined by no limits shall determine for yourself your own nature. You shall fashion yourself in whatever form you prefer. You know, the joke is, and it's not really a joke, unfortunately, it's somewhat true, that we were created in God's image, and now we create God in whatever image we want, really. Well, um, Os Guinness continues, he says, Throughout the centuries, this same view of human freedom, limitless potential, apart from God, has been expressed by other key thinkers. Human freedom, limitless potential, apart from God. And so here's a sampling of some of the thinkers and how they have expressed this. Liana Battista Alberti, a man can do all things if he will, 15th century Italy. Karl Marx, many of you know of him, of course. Man is free only if he owes his existence to himself, 19th century Germany. Um, Friedrich Nietzsche, if there were gods who could bear not to be gods, therefore there are no gods, 19th century Germany. Herbert Spencer, progress is not an accident but a necessity. Surely must evil and immorality disappear. Surely must men become perfect. 19th century England. Walt Whitman, many of us know of him. One self I sing, a simple, separate person. 19th century America. Got a few others. John F. Kennedy. Man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. 20th century America. And many of us might be, not be shocked as much by that one, but remember, we are under God's sovereign hand. And we try to do things apart from God, it's never good. Ayn Rand, man's destiny is to be a self-made soul. 20th century Russian-American. E.O. Wilson, the last one. Humanity will be positioned godlike to take control of its own ultimate fate. 21st century America. The person we are going to talk about today only thought about himself. He did not seek the Lord. He was the anointed king of Israel, but he did not seek the Lord. He did not bow to the Lord. The anointed king of Israel did not bow to the Lord, did not seek the Lord. And by the way, some of these quotes that I put up here, you know, some of those are the extremes because they're willing to write and even speak publicly apart from God and even saying that there is no God and saying that we can do anything we want even without God. But many of us may not admit that, but we do live that way. Many of us 
We ourselves do not bow to the Lord, do not serve the Lord, do not put the Lord first and foremost in our life every day. And every day, hopefully, we remind ourselves, Lord, I seek you. Lord, I seek you. Lord, may my life be about you. Lord, I seek you. We always need to remind ourselves, put God on the throne. Look at this, 1 Samuel 15, 15. Saul said, Saul's the king of Israel that we're going to talk about in a minute. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. We're going to look about at this in a minute. And we're going to put this in context. But Saul is talking to Samuel the prophet. And why doesn't Saul say the Lord our God? Why does he say the Lord your God? Isn't the Lord Yahweh Saul's God too? I want to argue that Saul did not bow to the Lord. Notice the, pro the pronouns. Saul did not acknowledge the Lord as our God, but as your God. He does it, he does it again in verse 21. 1 Samuel 15, 21. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God at Gilgal. Here he's still talking to Samuel. And he's still the anointed king of Israel. And he's still not bowing to the Lord as our God. Saul focused on himself and not the Lord. We are preaching a series on people of the Old Testament. People of the Old Testament. Many times forgotten lives of the Old Testament. I mean, I don't know how often you talk about Saul. We don't talk about these people that much. We've talked about Cain. We've talked about Abraham. We've talked about Esau. We've talked about Achan. We've talked about Samuel. And now we come to Saul. My theme and application today is Saul did not seek the Lord. We must seek the Lord. Saul did not seek the Lord. We must seek the Lord. As we look at, the, about, at this, we're going to see that Saul had a great rise to power. A great rise to power. He came from nothing and rose to power. But he had a terrible, terrible downfall. And we're going to see that how we finish is more important than how we start. Saul did not finish well. And let me introduce Saul to you. I'm going to summarize several chapters, and then we'll park in chapter 15. So if you're in 1 Samuel chapter 15, just stay there. We're going to park there in a minute. But let me introduce Saul to you. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see that the people of Israel wanted a king. And this was not a good thing. They wanted a king so that they could be like the other nations. But the Lord was their king. The Lord was their king, so they shouldn't, have, they shouldn't have wanted another king. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're introduced to Saul. Saul is of the tribe of Benjamin. He was looking for a lost donkey in the hill country of Ephraim, in the area of Shalisha, in the districts of Shalem and Zuf. He finally approached Samuel and Ramah for guidance. I find it just a humorous story about the way they introduced Saul. I've never had that happen to me, never lost a donkey. And... Um, and here he's wandering around, supposed to be the king of Israel, looking for a donkey. And eventually he finds Samuel. And Samuel kind of tells him where to find the donkey, but pretty much tells him it doesn't even matter. Samuel privately anointed him king in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. And Samuel predicted certain events that would happen near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin, at the great tree of Tabor, and at Gibeah of God, verses 2 through 8. 
Saul soon got right to work and he rallied. He rallied Israelite and Judean forces to deliver Jabesh Gilead from their Ammonite oppressors. And Saul might have been eager to do this since many Benjaminites of his day were descendants of women whose ancestral homes were in Jabesh Gilead. And that goes back to Judges 21. By the way, there's a lot of Old Testament history here. And it's important that we are reading the Old Testament. The Old Testament is critical. The Old Testament is the Word of God, just like the New Testament. They left Gibeah of Saul to Bezek, where he prepared the forces for battle. And this is all in 1 Samuel chapter 11. The forces that, that, uh, that Saul rallies, they cross the Jordan, they defeat the Ammonites. And Israel, at that point, all of Israel comes together in 1 Samuel 11 and anoints Saul as king. He's now publicly anointed as king, and his, his, his throne is no longer questioned by most of Israel. He had a good, rapid rise to power at this point. Saul and his son Jonathan mustered troops in Michmash, Gibeah, Benjamin, in the hill country of Bethel. So they rallied the troops once again. In 1 Samuel chapter 12 and 13, they rallied the troops once again. The Israelites at this point were likely dependent upon the Philistines, the Philistines for the manufacture and repair of copper and iron. And that is put in here as well. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 3, Saul's son met the Philistines head on at Gibeon. And he took their garrison. And by the way, Saul's son Jonathan becomes a very, very, very close friend and confidant with David later on before he dies with Saul in battle. There's a war with the Philistines in chapter 13. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, wins the battle in chapter 14. Saul has a great rise to power in 1 Samuel 9. But he was the people's choice. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. We see that in 1 Samuel 10, 23, which is like Connor. Connor is head and shoulders, right, Connor? Above, above everyone else. Anyways, Saul had, a, Saul had a rapid rise to power, but Saul was the people's choice. Head and shoulders above everyone, above everyone else. Then beginning in 1 Samuel 13, he has his downfall. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15, Saul makes three major mistakes. And fails to put God on the throne. Fails to serve the Lord. Saul is rejected. We see this in 1 Samuel 13 and again in 1 Samuel 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we have this battle going on with the Philistines. Jewish people are hiding and fleeing. Jewish people are hiding and fleeing. They're afraid to go to battle. Uh, Chuck Swindoll points out that Saul was to wait seven days after which the prophet would arrive offer sacrifices, and deliver the Lord's battle plans. Saul was to wait seven days. Saul was not to make the sacrifice without Samuel. Kings were not to make sacrifices. They could make sacrifices for themselves, but not the community. Saul was not to make the sacrifice to the community. Samuel was to convey the Lord's battle plans, but Saul makes the offering himself. Saul takes matters into his own hands. Saul did not wait on the Lord. Saul did not wait on Samuel in this case. Saul did not do what he was supposed to do. Samuel arrives in 1 Samuel 13, 10 through 12. Saul is rejected. Saul is rejected for this mistake. Saul moves on like nothing ever happened, though. He, Saul did not repent. He did not do anything. He did not bow to the Lord. He still did not bow to the Lord. Then we come to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 
the Israelites defeat the Philistines in battle, but not by Saul. Saul's son, Jonathan. His son, Jonathan, and Jonathan's armor bearer go on a secret raid on the Philistines' camp. And they single-handedly, just between the two of them, pretty much defeat the Philistines. Saul makes a curse in that chapter and does not follow through with it. He makes another mistake. You can read that later on. Saul does not obey again in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And this is where we're going to park for a few moments. In verse 1 of 1 Samuel 15, Saul is anointed again. The Lord gives him a second chance. Look at this, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore listen to the, Lord's, the, the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now notice right here, God is giving Saul a second chance. Saul was rejected in chapter 13. And right now, God is giving Saul a second chance. And we're going to see here in a few moments that Saul totally rejects the second chance. Saul totally spurns it. Saul totally doesn't carry. still does not obey the Lord. 1 Samuel 15, we didn't read verse 3 yet. Samuel says to Saul, now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him. Utterly destroy. This means that they put... Amalek under the ban. It was called the ban in the Old Testament. He says, put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. They're to be put under the ban. This means in certain cities they were supposed to kill everyone and not take bounty. Bounty goes back to the Lord. This goes back to Deuteronomy. And Saul disobeyed once again. Look at verses 8 through 9. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the ox and the fatlings, the lambs and all that was good. And were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. They spared Agag, the best of sheep, the oxen. Saul disobeyed. He wasn't supposed to do that. Remember two weeks ago we talked about Achan. And Achan did the same thing. Achan, when they conquered Jericho, they weren't supposed to take bounty, and Achan did. He took it and hid it in his tent, and because of that, Israel lost the first battle with Ai. Saul did the same thing Achan did. He disobeyed the Lord. God communicates to Samuel. Look at verses 10 through 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. And has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Notice that. Samuel was distressed and he cried out to the Lord all night. Do things bother us? Samuel was so distressed he cried out to the Lord all night. You know, when we see friends and family members struggling with certain things, even living in sin, does it bother us to the point we cry out to the Lord all night? We pray. That's what Samuel did. Chuck Swindoll shares about this. He says the Hebrew word translated distressed, as in Samuel was distressed. It here means to burn with anger. Samuel was incensed with Saul and sat up all night stewing in his righteous rage. The Lord gave the rebellious king yet another chance. The Lord gave Saul, this rebellious king, yet another chance to do what was right, to bow in submission to Israel's true king. But again, Saul blew it. He didn't care. He was self-focused. Now look at the next few verses. 
Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But we know that Saul did not carry out the command of the Lord. Saul does not get it at all. Saul had no guilt. He had no repentance. He had no conviction. He even set up a monument for himself. I like Samuel's response. Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? That's kind of a sarcastic, humorous response. Samuel shouldn't be hearing oxen. Samuel shouldn't be hearing sheep. He's hearing them because they failed to carry out the Lord's command. Now notice Saul's response. Saul said, they brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Again, as I already said, Saul should be saying the Lord our God. But Saul still compromised. He compromised what the Lord's command was. He justified it. It wasn't right. Saul did not bow to the Lord. Look at now verses 16 through 21. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul said to him, speak. Samuel said, is it not true? Though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel. And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And it brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So Saul is compromising. Saul is justifying. He's saying, I obeyed, but we did not obey. He did not obey. Look at verse 21. Saul says, but the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Once again, he's not the Lord our God, he's the Lord your God. Saul would not bow to the Lord. Saul would not bow to Yahweh. Samuel's next words are telling. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of divination. That's amazing. Rebellion is as a sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Notice that Saul would not bow. If you read the rest of 1 Samuel, which I encourage you to do, we see that Saul, Saul totally chased Samuel all around Israel. He would not bow to the Lord. He would not bow to the fact that he was rejected from being king. But God was still at work. Let's make some applications here. How you finish is more important than how you start. Remember that. Finish well, finish serving the Lord. Rationalization is disobedience. 
because it refuses to accept the truth. Saul would rationalize what he was doing instead of obeying the Lord. The most destructive lie is the one you tell yourself. Saul rationalized disobedience. Remain accountable. We all need accountability partners. Proverbs 27, 17. Reject pride. Pursue truth. Strict obedience is better than good intentions. There is no truth that is not popular, such as don't marry a non-believer, abstain from sexual immorality. But they still are truths that God teaches us to obey. Don't try to rationalize what you're doing instead of obeying the Lord. If you have messed up, don't be like Saul. Repent. Some more applications. We must submit to the Lord's leadership. Saul would not submit to Samuel. Saul would not submit to the Lord and the Lord's words to him. This means sometimes we must wait on the Lord. This means we um, must not need to be in leadership or in front or in powerful places to have fulfillment. Some of us think that to serve the Lord, we have to be up front or be in leadership or be in powerful places. That's not true at all. We must submit to the Lord. We must submit to the Lord's people. We must submit to leadership in society, Romans 13. We must submit to church leadership. That's Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. We must submit to the Lord's word. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We must submit to the Lord's leading through the word, the church, reason, and the Holy Spirit. The way the Lord speaks to us and leads us and guides us. 1 Samuel 15, 12 shows that Saul set up a monument for himself. Or let the people do that. We must be humble and not take credit, but give glory to God. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Do all things to the glory of God. We don't need to set up monuments to ourselves. 1 Samuel 15, 17 shows that Saul was a no one. And he knew that. And the Lord anointed him. We must recognize everything we have comes from the Lord. Positions we are in come from the Lord. Things we own comes from the Lord. Everything we have, knowledge we gain comes from the Lord. Everything we have comes from the Lord. Seek the Lord and give glory to Him. The Lord is sovereign and we must bow to Him and cast our crowns to Him. The Lord worked in this process and went to David, who is the Lord's choice. 1 Samuel 13, 14. I like what John Piper says, and it's a desiring God slogan. It's that God is most glorified in us. When we are most satisfied in him. Are we satisfied in the Lord? Can we bow to the Lord? Is the Lord enough? Can we be satisfied in him? A CEO has taken on a new job. And the outgoing CEO says to him, sometimes you'll make wrong choices. You will. You'll mess up. When that happens, I have prepared three envelopes for you. I left them in the top drawer of the desk. The first time it happens, open number one. The second time you mess up, open number two. The third time, open number three. So, new CEO comes in. The outgoing CEO has these envelopes in his desk. For the first few months, everything goes well. Everything goes fine. Then the CEO makes his first mistake. He goes to a drawer, opens up envelope number one. Remember, these envelopes are left from the previous CEO. The message reads, blame me. So he does. This is the old CEO's fault. He made these mistakes. I inherited these problems. Everybody says, okay, it works out pretty well. Things go fine for a while. Then he makes a second mistake. So he goes to the drawer and opens up envelope number two. This time he reads, blame the board. And he does. It's the board's fault. 
the board has been a mess. I inherited them. They're the problem. Everybody says, okay, that makes sense. Things go far, fine for a while, and then he makes his third mistake. So he goes to the drawer and opens up envelope number three. The message reads, prepare three envelopes. <laughs> Repeat the process over again. But a lesson from Saul's life is that we need to own up to our mistakes. We need to repent. We need to serve the Lord. We need to bow the knee to King Jesus. Let's pray right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you help us repenting, following you, serving you, bowing our knee to you. Lord God, I thank you that the Bible does not gloss over the mistakes of your people through the ages. We see the total immorality within the scriptures, uh, though it's certainly never, ever condoned but condemned. Lord God, may we learn from mistakes such as Saul's mistake right here. May we learn from these mistakes and may we serve you. And may we recognize that you are the Lord, our God. You are the Lord, our God. May we believe in you, that you died on the cross for our sins and rose again. May we commit to you and trust in you. May we confess that we need you. May we firmly make the decision to be with you in order to become like you and to learn and do all that you say and arrange our affairs around you. We need your help serving you, Lord. We need your help. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. Help and guide and support us through this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand for the closing song, but, you know, as we sing this closing song, if the Lord stirred your heart and you want to come forward for prayer, you know, these altars are open. You can come forward and kneel at them, and you can just kneel and pray alone by yourself with the Lord. If you have trouble kneeling, you're welcome to sit in the front pew. And, of course, you could always stay seated and pray at your seat as well.